Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. The open web is a pretty good answer to free speech and censorship and all these kind of problems because it guarantees that you will always be able to find a place where you can say what, whatever you have to say. Podcasting is one of the few forms of digital media that remains largely free of platform control or restrictions. But as podcasts continue to become more mainstream, that may all be changing. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Benjamin Bellamy is the CEO and founder of Adorays, which creates fair and sustainable ecosystems for everyone in the podcasting industry. He's also the father of the Castopod hosting platform. Benjamin, welcome to It's All Journalism. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Okay. So now this is a journalism-focused podcast, but from time to time, I see something about podcasting that I find really kind of interesting and I think would be applicable for many journalists out there working in the digital space. You recently wrote an article that, that caught my attention. It was entitled, How Podcasting Will Save the Open Web and Free Speech. So, you know, tell me, what, what inspired you to write that article? We've been uh, working on the podcasting for quite some time, some years now, and we've always valued openness and the open podcasting and the open web. And recently, we've been working on how podcasters would be able to interact with their listeners. So technically, we're talking about how listeners can be able to comment podcast episodes or how they can like and share these episodes and how to make all these very usual features available for podcasters, but in a way so that they are in control. The podcasters are in control and they do not delegate all these features to a third party. So, for instance, uh, it could be um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter or whatever. And my partner, Yassine, wrote down a specification to uh, allow all that. We've been working on uh, this subject for quite some time on the Castopod, which is our hosting platform, which is open source. And I started writing an article on that. And uh, very, very soon, I realized that it was impossible to understand what this is all about if you don't first explain why you're doing this and why it's so important that the podcasting should stay open and why openness and uh, open web and free speech are important and why we are building these solutions. So actually, in the beginning, merely an introduction to a very, very technical post uh, article. And eventually, it became an article um, of its own. And one of the reasons that, I, that it kind of caught my eye was it, it touched on a lot of things that, as a podcaster and as a journalist as well, that I think about a lot, you know, and how podcasting has evolved over the last couple of decades and what's what was good about it at the beginning and what things have changed and what the kind of forces that are around it, you know, might shape its future. For example, the thing that immediately jumped on my mind was the idea of monetization. 
because podcasting is so decentralized in the beginning, it was podcasters were kind of limited to how they were going to uh, monetize. And, you know, you could see frustration from, you know, advertising companies or advertising organizations who were like, well, you know, this, these podcasts are too diverse. They're difficult for us to figure out how we're going to sell ads for them. And, and they were kind of pushing toward the creation of networks, you know, like TV networks or, you know, cable systems where, where things would be able to group together and, you know, pushing toward creating closed systems in order to make podcasts more sustainable. And I think we're kind of at a point where I think some of that is beginning to happen in a really big way. But before we even go there, I think we kind of, we should probably step back a second. Let's talk a little bit about openness and open web. What do you mean by open web? The open web actually was the web as it was initially created 30 years ago with uh, Mosaic and uh, all the web servers, meaning that any server would be able to talk to any client, any program. And as long as uh, everyone speaks the same protocol, there is no centralized server or centralized entity that controls everything else. So you can jump from one server to another and this is the way it was created. And then in the years 2000, we started to see very centralized platforms. Facebook is one of them, YouTube is another, meaning basically you're just using its pipe, but you're not on the, uh, the, the web as it was initially thought. You're not on the internet. You're using its pipe, yes, but when you're on Facebook, you're on Facebook. You're not on the internet because everything which happens inside of Facebook is just in Facebook and it's not outside of it. So you're using a closed platform, which can be really nice and interesting from time to time. The thing is, we've been so used to closed platform that we don't even understand what open web means. And personally, I think that's a shame. The two kinds of web, open and closed, should exist at the same time. But the danger now is that the open web is disappearing and that soon we won't have any open web. And the open web means free speech because when you're on Facebook, whether you like it or not, you cannot say something that Facebook don't want you to say. Whether uh, their motivation is good, bad, that's not the problem. As soon as you enter Facebook, you're at someone's place and you agree to the terms and condition. So you may agree with them or not. That's not the problem. When you are at someone's apartment, uh, you have to uh, agree with the rules. The thing is, if we have only closed platform, then you're muzzled. You cannot say everything you want to say. As long as you have other places where you can talk freely, that's not a problem. The problem comes when there's no other place, like video on the internet. If you are on YouTube and for some reason, right or wrong, that's not the, the point. You get a strike. Well, where can you go? There's nowhere, nowhere else to go because now YouTube has the kind of a monopoly. And that's the problem. Why is that so much important on podcast is that podcast is the last place on the internet which is truly open web because or thanks to the RSS feed 
which is totally decentralized, you can host a podcast wherever you want to host it. You can uh, index it on any directory and you can listen to it using any application. It could be uh, a desktop uh, app, it could be uh, a cell phone app. It doesn't matter, but you're free to use any mean of uh, communication, any app. So, of course, if you're doing a podcast that Apple doesn't like, they may remove it from their index, but your podcast will still exist. It won't disappear. It will just be removed from Apple index, but that's it. It won't be deleted of anywhere, and someone who knows the RSS URL will still be able to listen to it, even using the, the Apple podcast app. You know, because not everybody who's listening to this understands kind of how podcasts work. Discovery, which is a really difficult thing for podcasts, is getting your your potential audience to discover it. That's when you start making these decisions about where your your feed is going to show up and how you're going to promote it. And I think that also takes us down the road toward the development of of networks closed systems, sort of what you were talking about before, where, you know, what if Spotify says that, you know, well, you can only have your podcasts in our feed. You can't share them with any other path because the way we're promoting it, the way we're promoting your podcast is part of this network. So people, one of the frustrations is about being a podcast listener is, you know, I want to find new podcasts, but I don't know how to find them. So these services are developed these apps are developed as well that make it easier for the listener to find podcasts. And it also makes it easier for the podcaster to monetize and to promote and grow their podcast. So, but as you said, sometimes these things become closed systems. You sort of trade off the freedom that you have, freedom of speech. You know, I'm going to be part of this network, but I can't swear because they don't allow people to swear. They don't people to talk about particular topics that maybe were part of my podcast. Okay, I'll make that compromise because if the larger picture. So what I'm trying to describe here is sort of where podcasting has, has sort of evolved. You know, what are your thoughts about how podcasting has evolved over the last 20 years? What you're seeing is really interesting. First, let me go back just for a sec. Freedom of speech also involves freedom of uh, not listening to something. What I mean is, of course, I think that it's always good that you have a way to say what you want to say and that you shouldn't be muzzled. And if a closed platform doesn't want you to say something on its platform, it's totally fine as long as you can say it somewhere else. But in the end, if people don't want to listen to you, yeah, that's also fine. So it's not because you are free to say something that you must have an audience. Sometimes there isn't any. So the fact that you have the freedom of speech and that someone brings you an audience are two totally different questions. Then about discoverability. Yes, of course, that's a problem that's been around for decades. On the internet, Google solved it or it found the solution. Maybe it's not the perfect one, but so far it's the best that we found. SEO and SEM are pretty good answers to discoverability. What about podcasts? There is no, as far as I know, 
There is no answer to that. How can we make podcasts more easy to discover? So if Spotify likes your podcast, they will find an audience. They will, which is a really good thing. Again, I'm not saying that closed platforms are bad. They're just complementary to something else. As long as you have the choice. What's important is that you can choose. The problem remains because Spotify or the, the top 100 or 200 on Apple are not the only answers and the only solutions to discoverability for podcasts. So for instance, what we are working on at Adores is a new tag which allows a podcaster to tell which recommendations they want to link to a specific podcast or episode. So let's say you, Michael, you are recording today a podcast episode on open web, and you know that at some point you want to link it to another episode, let's say like two weeks ago about Bitcoin, because there are subjects that are interconnected. So now you don't have much choice except that to say, yeah, I talked about this, but maybe it's someone else's podcast. Maybe it's uh, something that you did. Maybe it's something that you didn't do. So what we are doing is finding and creating ways for podcaster to stay in control of recommendations. So stop delegating that to third parties, such as Spotify or Apple, but do it yourself because who knows better than you what could be relevant to your podcast. Or if you want to, to have that automated, you can do it. What do you see as the, are the threats? Because one of the things you're saying is, you seem to be saying is that there are places and there are good reasons to have these closed systems for you know, finding audience or for creating a, a monetization and a promotion platform for your podcast. But you know, what are the threats do you see for the open web as far as podcasting goes? Well, the threat is uh, pretty clear to me. It's exactly what happened to video on the internet. So before uh, 2005, 2007, there were no video platforms on the internet. It was very difficult to share any content. And it was even more difficult or impossible to make a living out of it. And then YouTube came and they brought an entire closed ecosystem that allowed a producer to create content, to upload it, to store it, to broadcast it, to be discoverable, to monetize it, basically to do everything that you need. And for uh, viewers, you can so discover, so there's an index, you can search for content and you can view it. And there are some ads so that the system is, uh, is sustainable. So this is really, really good system because it created an ecosystem, actually. There was nothing before. So the only problem here is that no other system or service can compete with YouTube on any level because they have almost a monopoly. And if you're not on YouTube, no one will ever find you. And that's the problem. The problem is not that the system is closed. The problem is that 
the system has a monopoly. And of course, if a system is open, it cannot have a monopoly because if it's open, anyone can connect to it and interact and contribute. And you can move from one subsystem to another. So this is why, to me, the open web is a pretty good answer to free speech and censorship and all these kind of problems because it guarantees that you will always be able to find a place where you, you can say what, whatever you have to say. So what do you see as a solution here for podcasting that maybe are we going down the slide that it's sort of inevitable that there'll be these platforms, say Spotify or Pandora or something like that, that, okay, we're going to put our flag posts up and everything in here is really the only option for people who are producing podcasts and the only option for people listening to podcasts. What is the alternative? What, what can we do to maybe avoid that, the YouTube situation, or is it too late? No, no, of course it's not, it's not too late. First, if we uh, go back to the comparison with uh, video, the huge difference is that podcasting has been around for 20 years. So the ecosystem was built on openness. And there are 4 million podcasts out there that are open. So you won't be able to put 4 million podcasts into a closed ecosystem from one day to the next one. That's impossible. So it will stay, at least for a huge part of it, open. And of course, there will be closed ecosystem. And as I, again, it's not a bad thing. But we saw businesses changing very rapidly on the internet. So like, for instance, a good analogy might be the app stores. Before Apple launched its app store, there were cell phones with internet capabilities and apps that were down downloadables. Myself, I've developed uh, apps for uh, Nokia phones and it was horrible, it was ugly, and it was impossible to uh, make a living out of it. So Apple brought and developed an ecosystem that actually works. And it was the first time that phone developers can make a living out of it. And very, very soon, they took like a, a huge chunk of the market, and then Android came and they split it together. But what I mean is that, of course, the, the podcast ecosystem has been open for 20 years. And of course, there will be closed ecosystems and closed silos. We need to be careful so that these closed silos won't take over like 90% of every podcast. Benjamin, before we, before we wrap up here, and tell me a little bit about, about, about yourself. How did you get involved in podcasting? So at Adores, we are developing semantic search engines and we use it for podcasters. So basically what we do is we transcribe podcasts, we index them and we provide recommendations for them. So we recommend either other podcasts or other contents or sponsored content or sponsored products. And this works really well with podcasting especially because podcasting is all about niche contents. 
and the context is really important and it works pretty well. So basically we are providing ads for podcasters and because we rely on the context and not on the user profile, this is really, it's totally GDPR or CCPA compliant. We don't need any information on the listener himself or herself. We just need to know what the listener is listening to. And Castopod, initially, it was a side project because we needed an hosting platform that allowed us to do tests and whatever we needed. And very soon it became a project on its own because like two years ago, when we were looking for an open source podcast hosting platform, we found some interesting ones, but not one that was answering all our needs, which were really basic at that time. We just wanted to be able to specify a, a title, season number, and this kind of stuff. And then we found out that all podcasters rely on a third-party platform to interact with their audience. And this is uh, a shame and this is really dangerous because when you rely on an external platform to interact with your listeners, your audience does not belong to you. It belongs to this third party. So let's say if you, you have a podcast and even if you self-host it, so you're in total control, but you're using Instagram for comments and interactions, the day that Facebook removes you out of its, its platform, you lose 100% of your audience. You don't know how to contact them. You have no information about them and they're gone. That's it. So this is why we developed Castopod. The main goal for it was to allow podcasters to stay in control of the listeners' interactions. So when a listener on Castopod wants to like, share, or uh, comment an episode, it's done on the hosting platform, on the podcast hosting platform itself. So no one can remove that link between the podcaster and the listeners. No one. I think what you just described there is now we kind of land on what I think is probably the most journalistically relatable thing. People who have been in digital journalism for over a decade kind of understand the, the frustration of not getting people to your website, to your news site, and realizing, well, I, I need to make sure I tweet it out. I need to make sure all of our stories appear on Facebook. And the frustration that comes every time that Facebook changes its algorithm and you have to try and guess what you need to do to get your, your content to your audience. And then what you said is very true. When you get into that space, you don't really control your audience. And things happen. We, we've seen things happen, you know, over these years of, you know, newsrooms embracing face. Well, at first, like, well, why do I need to put my stuff on Facebook? And people telling you, well, your audience is there. So you need to have your, you bring your content to your audience. So you do that. And then you're jumping through hoops or Facebook's hoops to, in order to grow your audience and get your, your stories read. But then the rules change and then the monetization change. And so 
you suddenly you don't have any control of your content. You don't have any way to really kind of effectively reach your audience unless you're playing the Facebook game. So taking that experience and then looking then at podcasts and saying, okay, well, this is, you know, something that we saw going on with news outlets and their stories in Facebook. This is something where if you're a podcast producer and you rush to put your content on somebody else's platform that you sort of give up a lot of your control and the things that you initially see as benefits become things that you're chasing that you really have no control over. And so <laughs> I think it's very relatable to people who are in journalism. Benjamin, this has been a really interesting discussion. Thank you very much for you know taking the time. There'll be a link to your article with the story. I wish you luck. Thank you very much. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.